Welcome back to Dark Nexus. My name is Rob, I'm the Game Master, and we've got four players tackling this crazy, awesome adventure path from Paizo. I'm Katie. I'm Paul. I'm Robert. And I'm Johnny. Tonight, Chapter 2. I'll catch us back up with a little overview of where we stand. Last week was a lot of table setting, getting pieces into place for our characters that have no memories and our players have no idea what's going on. We began with a prologue where some sort of inhuman life form seemed to be attempting to mentally interface with you, all of you, and was distressed to discover that it couldn't do so, and it couldn't do so because you had no memories. Then it did what it described as probing, which caused terrible pain, but shook loose a whole bunch of images in your brains, mm -hmm. uh, chief among them, a city beneath towering mountains where an old woman was staring at you in horror, and a gray wooden hut squatting under a tree with human heads for fruit where some dude was laughing and some other dude, a middle-aged guy with a charcoal beard and purple John Lennon specs, was looking down on you through a portal or something. Then there was more probing and you heard all sorts of voices, probably voices you heard before whatever happened to you happened. Then you woke up, or so you thought but it turned out to be a shared nightmare. You were in a yellow city filled with yellow fog, wearing tight yellow robes with featureless white masks sewed to your faces, clutching weird objects, a makeshift torch, a volcanic rock, a large knitting needle, and a strange decorative chain, and a nightmare man with pale skin, a lamprey mouth, living yellow rags for clothing, and a gleaming war razor was hunting you, and then he killed you all. And then you really woke up and the actual real-life situation wasn't much better. So you were lying naked in locked cells in a torture dungeon where a doctor lady was using a rusty pair of pruning shears to kill a middle-aged dude strapped to a table. You managed to kill her through a combination of Robert's character's brute strength and Katie's character's ability to fling objects around the room without apparently using verbal, somatic, or material spell components. Although she did seem to try to use them at first, the lady in the Dr. Elacy skein coat died, transforming, as she did, into a long, pale, featureless aberration, but not before she brutally stabbed the man on the table to death. Stab, 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 right in the chest. Oh, little sidebar here. All of you, except for Robert, got very lucky last session. So using the sanity rules is new for us and new for me, and I forgot to have anybody but Robert make a save against their first sight of the Nightmare Stalker. So we all know poor Robert ended up with a phobia to bladed weapons. Everyone else got lucky. I'm not gonna worry about going back on that one, but once I finish up the recap, let's remember to make a sanity check for everyone who just witnessed this horrifying double scene of gruesome murder that just transpired, which is essentially the first ones you've ever seen in your life since you have no memories. We'll get back to that. So here's the rest of what we know. We don't know anybody's names yet or their class. We know Robert's a uh, hulking, gray-skinned, half-orc man of indeterminate age, but not young who's good with his fists, missing a bunch of fingers, and branded with a squiggly line on the back of his neck. We know Johnny is a human man in his 30s, leathery, weather-beaten, also branded with the same mark in the same place, and he's got a striking geometric spiral of perfect equilateral triangles tattooed on his face. We know Katie's a woman, a woman older than the rest of you, maybe around 50, who looks human but has 
coppery skin, metallic silver hair, and amethyst-colored eyes. She's also branded, but with a different mark. Hers is an eye, and she's got a purple stain all over the back of her body. So the three of you are still locked in your cells without equipment, except Johnny's got a belt. All four of you know that you speak the Tall Dane language because you started to recognize it as the doctor spoke it and then as you spoke it. It's the common tongue for a big part of the central area of Galarian, Paizo's campaign world. So knowing that doesn't tell you too much about where you might be other than that you're probably somewhere on the continent of Avistan, probably somewhere near the inner sea perhaps. And I left Paul for last because he's the one we know the least about thus far. He barely spoke in the fight. He was kind of hiding in the shadows, trying to find a time to grab the doctor before Robert got to her. And he hasn't used any sort of class ability yet. He's a much younger person than the rest of you. A human man in his early 20s with a strong but warped body. There's no brand on him. But patches of him are literally rotting in front of your eyes. And the rest of them, and except I don't, I don't think I mentioned this specifically last time, except for his face and his hands, which are not marked, the rest of his body is covered in scars. It looks like words have been repeatedly carved into his flesh over and over and over again. Katie's character hasn't seen him yet, but John and Roberts have, and they can't read what it says. So Paul, now that you've left the shadows and you're standing in the open door of your cell, in the flickering torchlight from the torch over the murder table, you can see the writing on you now, and you can read it. Now, I'm gonna tell you what it says, and you can decide what you want to share with the others, if you want to, mm -hmm. and then we'll make sure to roll those sanity checks, but first, let's plug and hum while I tell Paul what's written on his body. It is the word Daria, D-A-R-I-A, written over and over, overlapping, crisscrossing, wrapping around itself all over your body. You understand Daria to be a name mm -hmm. rather than a word, mm -hmm. uh, a name for a woman, like we would think of it in English, essentially. And it's in the infernal language, mm -hmm. the language of hell, mm -hmm. the language of devils, the language of infernal contracts, and soul binding. All right, everybody, come on back. And that's a language that I understand. That is the second language that you speak. Okay. Back. Our first plug and hum. Yes. By the way, thank you so much to Sirenscape for the amazing music and sound sets that we're using. Okay, Paul, you're standing in the open door to your cell. You just learned what you just learned about what's written on your body. And just to backtrack a little bit, just one detail that echoes for me as I think back to when we last played was the twisty, strange nature of this doctor lady, like her head turned around on its axis, her tongue was doing weird things, her body folded strangely. All of her actions around the guy on the table were totally weird. And as if there weren't enough things to kind of freak out about. Hey, so, that's actually, that's a real good lead into some sanity checks that we'll pick up right after that. <laughs> okay. Quick question before we roll those. Yes. Am I, I know that I still have the madness yes. that I got in the dream. Like, actively, am I shaken or am I just no. having to make the save the next time I see an edged weapon? So the next time you can see an edged weapon and you're within 30 feet of it, 
you're going to have to make a will save or be shaken. Right. And then after that, you have the option to make another save. If you pass that one, you're okay for the moment. If you fail it, you're frightened and have to run away. <laughs> okay. So what state am I in right now based on seeing the edged weapon in the dream. Am I still shaken from that? No. Okay. No, you have no you have no game condition at the moment. Gotcha. Okay. But um, I could get a, like madnesses keep stacking, I'm assuming. The way we're going, we're not going to be double or tripling madnesses on top of you. Okay. It's basically just going to make it harder for you to get rid of this one. Okay. Let's start with Polly. Yeah, this is a will save. It is a will save. Rolling die 20 at a new bonus. Okay. So, I rolled an 8. My will save is plus two, so that's a ten. You take one point of sanity damage, which, because of the combination of your mental ability scores, means you're okay for the moment. You've got enough combination of charisma, will, and intelligence to fight off obtaining madnesses from horrifying circumstances, which obviously Robert doesn't. Uh, Johnny? (laughs) Okay, here we go. Ooh, natural nine plus four for a total of 13. All right, so you also only take one. You aren't made mad. Katie? Oh, dear. That's a two (laughs) plus three is five. That's a big old fail. Yeah. You take three points of sanity damage. Oh, But the good news for Katie is that's still under her threshold, so no madness Mm. for her. And Robert? Yet. Good luck, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a three. Okay. Okay. You take five more points. Oh, my God. So currently sitting at six. When we get to the point where we can rest, we can talk a little bit more about how this goes away, which basically is long periods of time, some counseling from a friend, but you're going to be hurting for a while. Um, hugs? <laughs> hugs will, will provide flavor assistance. Okay. I don't and know if the half-orc hugging you is really the thing that's going to help with your sanity. <laughs> um, Did not help her. You're no. keeping track of the mechanic of this, I am. right? Okay. So I will, I will tell you when you brush up against something that will affect you. So when you. you say minus one that doesn't really have a an effect on me, but I do feel... What I've seen, what I've witnessed is disturbing. I'm fighting off it having a lasting permanent sort of effect on me, exactly. but right now I'm in exactly. I'm not post-traumatic stress disorder yet. Right. You can fight off the effects, but you feel like that was scary enough that it threatened to drive you mad. Okay. So that's a great transition then back to you. What do you do? Right. So I had the, the half-work guy kick the keys over to me, and that's the way I was able to open up no, the, the keys just flew over to you. That's spooky. It was. I was very disturbed. Roll for sanity. The half work was very disturbed. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how I got the keys and opened up the you door. You tell yourself whatever you need to tell yourself. Right, you right. Things are so effed up that I don't want to entertain any other possibility. Okay, so I open up my door and I see to my right that there's a pile of clothes Right? There's some uh, kind of two sacks, sacks, a couple of books, and a straight jacket. One, one sack is larger, looks like maybe backpack sized. One sack is smaller, looks like maybe, oh, think of it like large dice bag sized. Okay, I'm going to go to the backpack sized bag and start tearing it open and going through it. Hey, Excellent. Hey, could, could you let the rest of us out of here, please? I'm still just going hey. through the bag. Hey, hey. I look hey. over my shoulder and go back to what I'm doing. So you're starting with the larger one? Yep. 
All right, so Johnny's character is calling out to you. You're ignoring him. Yep. Uh, it's filled with tools, a weird kind of wooden torch-like thing with metal plates and stuff, a red leather case that looks similar to the red leather belt that Johnny's character received earlier. There's a black leather kit of lock picks. There's a, what looks like a healing kit with four uses left. So there's bandages and herbs. There's a little brown leather pouch. And then there's two spell component pouches, a couple of charcoal pencils, quill pen, inkwell. So it looks like a tool sack. Cool. Hello. I'm going to take the healing kit. Four uses. Got it. I, I think there's something wrong with his ears. There's the straight jacket, but there's nothing that looks like any other kind of clothing no. around there. Correct. Okay. The half-orc starts shaking the bars. I'm going to go into the dice bag and start... Is someone out? Messing with that. Yeah, th- there's a guy out. The guy on the other side of you. Shh, quiet. Okay. A set of matched wedding rings, a man and a woman's. Gold stylized with embossed chains. There's a collection of golden rings and studs and spikes, clearly uh, designed to be used with uh, body piercings. There is a silvery, spiky brooch sort of thing that looks like a constable or a lawman's badge. There is a fairly large milky white crystal, and then a couple of weirdly shaped silver cups, and then a handful of gold pieces and silver pieces. Yeah, I'm going to take that whole pouch. Okay. And Robert, do you want to give me a strength check on those doors? See if you're able to uh, impact it? Yes, I would. These dice are shite. Ten. All right, okay. So <laughs> nothing happens there. Okay, with the... I'm sorry, the wooden torch had metal bits on it? Yeah, so. it had like has like metal plates, bits of clockwork stuff. It looks like it, it may be decorative... Uh, maybe ripped off of a wall. Does it feel like it could be used like a club? Like it could you at least throw that key to one of us, you fuck? It has enough weight to do maybe 1d2 damage, okay. but it already looks like it's broken. Okay. You might just smash it if you if you Okay. Hit. All right. Hey lady, can can you can you maybe move one of those other things on the the, the table next to you? Can you can I'm going to go to me. I'm going back maybe, to maybe the door. Hold on a second. I'm going back to the door, I'm taking the keys, and I'm throwing them to the half-orc, and then I'm going to go check out the door to the east. All right, so, Robert, the keys are coming your way. Paul, you're heading down a little 10-foot hallway that goes to the east out of this room, which is essentially reaching the edge of the torchlight. So you reach, there's a wooden door at the end of that thing, and you can tell, like, you might have maybe five feet of faint light beyond that once you open this door. Robert? Snick. Polly? Perception check. Great. Give me, a, give me a roll. You're listening at the door? Yeah, I want to listen at the door. Cool. Snick was me opening the door for <laughs> our friends listening at home. <laughs> um, I rolled a 15 plus one perception would be 16. Uh, you notice a couple of things. There is a foul smell seeping underneath the door and around the bad fitting of the door to the frame. Mm-hmm. And you hear what sounds like the buzzing of flies. Ooh. All right, so Paulie's checking that door out, Robert. You've got your door open. What do you do? I look back and forth between the woman and the, what are we calling? What's triangle the, man. The triangle man. And uh, toss the keys to the woman. Excellent. Thanks. Great. Thanks a lot. I'm sure you'll get your time. Polly? Uh, I'm going to 
try the door in a stealthy kind of way, whatever that means. Like, I'm, if I'm concerned that there's something on the other side of the door uh-huh. that might notice me, uh-huh. I'm going to try to, like, sneak the door open and catch a glimpse of what's on the other side. Hello, give me a stealth check. See okay. how good you are at that. Okay, the keys are coming your way. Eight plus three, eleven. Good to know. You feel pretty stealthy about that. You creak the door open, and you're just hit with a wave of stench. And though hopefully Paul doesn't know what this smells like, Paul's character knows for fact it is rotting corpses. You recognize that scent as like, ah, yes, rotting corpses. That's exactly what they smell like. (laughs) And then you hear a loud buzzing of flies. Maybe, let's say, just at the edge of the light ahead of you, five or ten feet ahead, you see the bottom of what looks like a set of wooden stairs going up. You can kind of see a dusting of stone particles, chunks of rock. It looks like you know, someone was smashing or excavating on these stairs and they're kind of covered with a, a little film of rock particles. Katie, you've got the keys. I unlock my door. Snicked. And open it and go and unlock the door of the person in the cell across from me. Great. Robert, what are you doing at this time? It was just the, it was the bags of stuff uh, on the... On the side table? I'm gonna, I'm gonna... Let me, revi- let me remind you what's there. It was different stuff. The bags were These right were next torture to Torture materials. Oh, it... it, it, it I want to look at it unless anything starts to... Do I have any... How, how does this work? So if, if, <laughs> if, if, if... Can I see that, oh, that's edged and back off something? Or is it like only if I see something used violently? Or... So like something laying on a table would be enough to set me off? How... how I'm going to leave, you, or is that, gonna leave that up to you. Okay. <laughs> how do you think he would respond? <laughs> I mean, obviously, I think somebody comes at him with a bladed weapon. That would be terrifying. But, like, so you see a couple of flasks of acid, a whole bunch of ripped-up parchment pages with writing on it, flint and steel, hammers, scalpels, kitchen knives, gardening trowel, pliers, some chunks of stone, some long shards of broken glass. I think something sitting on a table, barring your discretion, of course, in case <laughs> something comes up, but I think that's more of a flavor Definitely makes him uneasy. Okay, great. But then, if circumstances become extenuating, of course. Yeah. But yes, definitely in any sort of violent sense. Yeah, that that would definitely freak cool. him right out. Anything you want to um, grab from there while Katie's making her way over to Johnny's cell? Do I? <laughs> I'm gonna look at the parchment. <laughs> okay. I'm confused by but, parchment but usually, but I'm going there. to look at. Oh, yes, yes, thank you. So it is written in Taldane, and you know that you can read that language. It seems to be a big stack of reverential prayers written to a goddess named Shailen. Do you have knowledge religion as one of your... <laughs> That's adorable. All right, so there are two a goddess named Shailen. Back to Polly. You're staring at the stairs and then a dark room presumably filled with dead corpses and flies. <laughs> is there any light coming from anywhere at all in the nope, room? No, it is okay, so, dark as so the grave. It's super duper dark in there. In addition to this hallway on the east side of the room, the west side of the room has a big collapsed cell in it, an empty cell in it, and then a pretty wide, a 15-foot wide passage heading to the south that nobody's gotten a good bead on. Although I guess so now, Katie, I believe you have dark vision, do you mm-hmm. not? Okay. I do. So Johnny's character didn't. He couldn't see very far down that hallway. So let me reveal a little bit more of the map. You see that the hallway goes about maybe 20, 25 feet straight ahead to the south, 
and it then turns the corner to go back east again, but you can see the edges of what looks to be a big pile of blood-soaked, discarded, torn-up clothing, armor, weapons, and a bunch of assorted crap in the nature of equipment. Back to Paul. I, I want to... Well, I can't really see in the dark. There's not much I can do in there. So I'm going to close the door. Great. Quietly. Great. <laughs> as quietly as possible. Uh-huh. And start heading this way, west. You just want to head down and join the others? Yeah, yeah. Great. Well, uh, not necessarily join them, but walk past them to start okay. heading to check out things this way. Okay, so Katie, you've got Johnny's cell open now as Paul's character is heading out of the light on the other side towards this hallway he can't see down. There's armor and equipment down there. Maybe clothing and weapons. Hmm. And I walk away from the cell and go to the corpse on the table. What do you do with the corpse? Do you eat its toes? Well, I, I look at his face, looking for recognition. No recognition. Then um, with sort of a little sideways glance around, I begin to feel my way around. What are you doing? Right, so she's starting to probe her fingers through the blood. Paul's edging towards the edge of the light there. Gross. Robert and Johnny, what do you think you're doing? Everything at this here is gross. What do you think you're doing? Uh, thanks, thanks, lady, for opening the uh, the door for me. I, I really, I really appreciate it. That, she nods that, in acknowledgement, but she's clearly concentrating on what uh, she's doing. Uh, okay, okay. I'm gonna. Yeah, I, I, I heard equipment, so I'll start. I gotta cover up because I'm, I'm naked. <laughs> So yeah, I'll, I'll start. I, I overhear her say that. Yeah. So I'll I'll start heading around. Great, John. Y- yeah. Uh, thank thanks, lady. Uh, uh, what's your name? My name is Dora. Oh, thanks, Dora. You're welcome. She's sort of staring off into space with her fingers, like probing his blood-soaked body. That's not creepy at all. Uh, right. Let's see if I can find something to cover myself up with. So, yeah, is is there anything r- remotely resembling clothes that one could put on to at least like wrap around one's waist, like a towel or anything? So, not that you can see, but Robert can see down in this pile at the edge of the southern hallway, which is out of your vision. Is there a, is there a torch? Is there some form of light that I can pick up and move and look around? There's a torch tied to the ceiling over the table. Obviously, since Katie's character was able to see down there without light, she might not need it for what she's doing. You can reach it and grab it if you want to. Excuse me, are, are you using that? Mm. Oh, okay. I grabbed the torch. Excellent. So Robert and Johnny are going down to check out the pile of stuff. Paul, are you joining them as yes, well? Yes, absolutely. Something to wear wouldn't be a mess. Yeah, yeah. No problem. Thanks for uh, taking care of that really creepy doctor. Hey. So there is a, it's just a chaotic heap of crap. <laughs> Looks like the base is dozens of sepia-colored light cloth knee-length gowns, like hospital gowns for patients. Most are filthy, most are covered in blood. Some are shredded, but there are some that are whole. Uh, on top of that is a bunch of busted-up-looking weapons and armor, a pair of human arms. Both are left arms, oh. both arms are missing the thumbs. Oh. And sitting atop all of that chaos, a violin has been placed neatly. It looks whole, undamaged, masterwork, untouched by the gore and devastation around it. So tons of patient gowns and equipment and stuff, you want to start plowing into that. Let me tell you what you see around 
around that corner now that you're all down there. Just around the corner from the large pile of crap is a furnace taking up about the last 20 feet of the room. It's got an open door that's like big enough to shove a child into oh. um, and sort of <laughs> that's a terrible so description. It's a very specific oh, that is, I don't need that looking, image in my head. Looking in there just from across the way you can see just heaps and heaps of ash bone fragments but there appears to also be glints of metal in there as well. Let's get back to Katie. <laughs> I know what you're doing. Yeah. They don't know what you're doing. I and think I this believe is a you make check. the role. Yeah. I do. So what is your knowledge arcana bonus? Plus nine. Plus nine. Excellent. Excellent for you or excellent for me? Well, here's what you know. You know that he's a human man on the older side of his middle ages. You determine that he is 50, he was 58 years old at the moment of his death. He's quite tall, thin, bony. Looks like he might have been in an actual state of starvation. His hair is long, he's got a long beard. Both are salt and pepper, more salt than pepper. Lots of white, but what is dark is black as opposed to like brown or red or something. His skin, what you can make out, was pretty pale, like he didn't get much sun in his days on Galarian. The teeth he has left after the torture are very clean and white, leading you to think that he must have been wealthy or privileged. But what you can see of his fingers leads you to believe that he probably worked with his hands. They're uh, marked up and calloused. He was human. He was Olfen. Can you make a knowledge geography check? I don't have it as a skill. It doesn't mean this I can't make it. This is very standard information. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and make it? Oh, I don't even have it on my sheet. But I'm just going to add my intelligence, intelligence bonus. Yeah. 17. Great. So the people of Ulfen descent come from the far north of the continent of Avistan. So like the lands of the Lenorm kings, a lot of the people in Irisin, the land of the witches. They typically have pale hair. So for him to have had black hair before it started turning gray would be unusual. You're able to determine the gender, he was male, and you're able to know what his alignment was, which was neutral evil. At that realization, I pull away from him, and I edge my way over to the corpse of the doctor lady. Excellent. So folks down by the pile of stuff, do you want to start through that? Do you want to yeah. check out the boiler? Um, I definitely want to sort through the stuff on the clothes, and I want to ask the half-orc, what he saw on the table there because there was mention of a parchment I might be able to do a knowledge check on that yeah I'll show you the parchment I don't know it's something about some god or other a god goddess sorry yeah I might know something about that okay as I mentioned a masterwork violin on top of the pile a whole bunch of patience gowns a bunch of arms there are also some ears further down most have been chewed on there is a once fine rapier with a delicate and beautifully forged rose-shaped hilt. It had clearly been masterwork at some point, possibly even magical, but in its current state, it's just a regular rapier. There's a well-made sickle that has seen better days, a black iron morning star splattered in blood, a little warped but usable, a breathtaking silvery masterwork battle axe with a stylized blade that looks like spears lancing out from a central point or maybe rays of light from a sun or beams from a star. It's striking, but it has been shattered into three pieces. Mm. There is a suit of 
once exquisite deep red leather armor. It's trashed and cut up. It had probably once been masterwork. Again, maybe even magical, but it's just regular leather armor right now. There's a totally mangled and destroyed black chain shirt, unusable. There is an impressive suit of charcoal gray studded leather made for someone huge. <laughs> it's trashed and messed up. Maybe it used to be spiked and the spikes have been torn off. Literally huge? Like, 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 like gameplay <laughs> takes up more squares huge? No, or, like as you or eyeball it. Or maybe like it, almost seven foot tall. As huge. though it were exactly your size. <laughs> it would currently still function as masterwork studded leather. There is an unsettling suit of black blood-soaked chain mail made for someone really thin with long weird limbs. Uh, again, it's seen better days. Probably once used to be magical, but now it's just regular chain. There is a dented up and warped light steel shield with a stylized pointy stabby star. It looks like it's a mate to the battle axe that have been shattered. It looks like it was once masterwork, probably also once spiked, but those have all been torn off and now it just functions as a regular light steel shield. And there's a banged up and blood soaked black iron buckler. There's also, you can scrounge a total of five daggers from the pile, two hand axes that could be also be used as throwing axes. There's two banged up light crossbows that look functional enough, and you can find a total of 15 usable crossbow bolts. How do we want to approach that list of stuff? The first thing I would do is probably grab just something to like wrap around myself so that I'm not walking around buck-ass naked. Excellent. So and you then, get a, a hospital patient's yeah, gown. Yeah, and then I would probably other. go and offer one to the lady as well. So when she's do, heading over she's, to the... Yeah, she's kneeling down next to the corpse of the doctor. Oh, okay. I'm going to... Here you go. You t- take that. Thank you, young man. I'll uh, fashion something together with a couple of gowns, and um, I'm just going to put that ar- studded leather armor on. I'm drawn to that black chainmail. Mm-hmm but something feels like it would be too bulky or cumbersome for me, or... It looks like it was made for you. Really? Yeah. All right, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try and get that black chainmail on, and uh, that Morning Star is speaking to me, too. The destroyed, like, red leather armor? Yeah. Is it even anything that would be able to, like, go over or around this dressing gown? Or is it just completely, like, a waste? No, it's usable. Definitely was not made for you, but, you know, with five minutes of work, you can sort of get yourself strapped into it. So okay. it would function as regular leather armor. Would I be able to fit that rapier on my belt? Yes. Okay. Absolutely. Then I'll take my special, beautiful belt that is mine and strap it around your, your this Renaissance destroyed... superhero belt? My Renaissance superhero belt <laughs> and strap it around this destroyed red leather armor. It's a perfect match. The leather is obviously the same. It was made by the same person. But this armor doesn't fit me. No. Paul, as you're climbing into that uh, black chainmail and grabbing the black morning star, you do look at that black iron buckler, and it yeah. looks, like a, looks like a fit. Looks yeah. like a match. Got it. Robert, if you want it, you notice that the light steel shield is probably uh, a perfect match for the masterwork studded leather that you are wearing. Katie. So two things. Yes. I'd like to make a knowledge check on what this thing is that was playing the doctor that impersonated the half-orc that had her tongue ripped out. Yes. Hmm. That would be a knowledge nature check if you have it. I don't have it. All right. But again, I could do it, but I'm going to hold that. Okay. Now. 
All right, so you're getting a little, so, little tickle of recognition, but yeah. you're not quite sure. So then um, she stands up and puts on the whatever thing the Triangle Man brought her. The hospital and, gown. And yeah. then she looks around and goes to the, I believe that's the The pile of west. sacks. Where the sacks are? No. Mm-hmm. To the, to the top of that 15-foot hallway where everybody else is, so I'm in, like, the cross-section. Yeah. yeah. So, so right about there. looking down at the three guys Yeah, going and to also looking back into the room with the cells that I just left. Mm-hmm. She puts both hands up, and she has this very clear image in her mind of, the, of a, a, a large bell tolling, signaling something, and she is filled with the most intense sense of curiosity. Okay. Katie, or actually Dora, now that we know your name. Crazy. You complete that series of thoughts and feelings, and you start to feel a stabbing pulse of warmth in a whole bunch of directions spiraling out from you. You feel really drawn to both sacks at the other end of the room, almost like something or some things inside both of them are glowing a little bit. You feel specifically pulled to the small dice bag sized sack. You when you, you took lo- those, right? Yes. So they're on him. Oh, he's holding them? Great. He, he took everything. Great. Well, so the, not, not everything. So then, like an anti Santa Claus. You see that glow and you feel that pull towards both the sacks that he's holding. So I walk towards him. There is this glow and this feeling coming off of that violin on top of the pile of equipment. Mm -hmm. The rapier in Johnny's character's belt is glowing to you. The morning star that Paul's character is holding is glowing. The three shards of the battle axe in the pile are glowing. And then there's just a cascade of light in this sense of Mm -hmm. what you're detecting Mm -hmm. coming out of the open door of the furnace slash boiler thing. There is much of significance here. And I begin pointing to the items, the rapier, the morning star, something in those pouches. May I? I think, I think I can feel what you're feeling. I I can't, I, I can't explain it. I don't want to take anything from you, I... No, if you know what to do with this, whatever this is, this energy, here, take a look at it. Thank you. So I take the two pouches, Mm -hmm. and I also lay my hand on the violin. This too, does this... Is this familiar to anyone? Nothing's familiar to me. Want to check it out? Give me a perception check. Anyone that's around there? That's a good number. 13. That's not bad. 24. I don't need to give my... Natural 2. <laughs> 14. Total of 9. So, Dora, as you reference this violin and you go over to lay your hand on it to lift it up so folks can look at it, you notice that there seems to be a small rolled up piece of paper tucked inside one of the holes into the violin. Is that where the significance is coming from? No, it is the object itself. itself. The note inside is not registering psychic significance. I remove the note. (laughs) Inside, it says, 
in a language that only you can read, mm -hmm. which turns out to be draconic, <laughs> it says, for Eric, E-R-I-C-H, don't forget. For Eric, don't forget. Are any of you named Eric? I wish I could tell you. No. No. I don't know. No, not you. You don't, you don't know your name? Your name is... Isn't it... Is it... Braden? What? Um... I... I... No, but... Yeah, yeah... You don't seem certain. It's... Uh, he, a tear suddenly, like, comes out of his eye. It's uncontrolled. He doesn't even know where it's coming from. It's... It's... It's something like that. I don't know. May I call you that? No. No, it's it's like that, but it's not that. What did you... You said what? Brayden. Brayden. I feel it with such certainty. Perhaps someone close to you. No. That's... That's me. Yes. <sighs> call me... Call me Ray. Ray. Call me Ray. All right. I'm Dora. <laughs> what the fuck is happening to me? I don't know, my friend, but I believe it's happening to all of us. So she lays a hand on your shoulder, if you'll allow her, mm -hmm. and just rests it there a moment. This mm -hmm an attempt to assure you of something. Mm -hmm. And then she returns her attention to the two pouches that he gave her. Uh-huh. And opens one of them. So you're... <laughs> and then goes insane. <laughs> you're very drawn to the small one. And that's where you, in fact, feel the kind of stabbing pain rather than sort of warm light. Yeah. Inside, again, there's a pair of wedding rings, a man's and a woman's, that woman's wedding ring you're feeling it like a phantom limb mm -hmm. like you know for fact that that is yours both of those are registering psychic significance the other thing that's registering significance is the constable's badge inside there's also a bunch of studs and spikes for body piercings a large milky white crystal which when you run your hand over it starts to glow mm -hmm. it doesn't register psychic significance and it doesn't make you feel that kind of phantom limb pain, but it does respond to your touch. And then there's also these weirdly shaped silver cups, and I think we've all been gathered together long enough that as you're looking at those, you sort of eyeball over at Robert's character, and it's like, those look like they would fit perfectly on the ends of his tusks. Hmm. Like they're little silver <laughs> tusk caps. It's very scary. So I very gently offer them to him. I believe these are yours. For what? For your... She indicates your tusks. You can say the word. I know I have tusks. I, I, <laughs> feel they're in my fucking face. I can feel them. Don't know if they look familiar or not, but they do look like they'd fit. Why not? I take them. Mm -hmm. Great. Looks at them does not, I don't think he feels any he sort not. of recognition, but 
Um, Do you remember your name? No, I don't. When I look at you, all I can see is you taking that creature's tongue in your hand and rending it from... A, I, I think perhaps, I'm not sure, someone may have once called you Rip. Called me what? Rip. No, that doesn't sound right, does it? That's very close. He puts the things on his teeth. Oh, they fit so perfectly. <laughs> moves, moves his jaw around. It'll take some getting used to. They're very fetching. Grip. Grip. You can call me Grip. Grip. Andre. I don't know who called me that, but that sounds right. Grip. Hey. And you? Do you have any memory of your name? Me? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah? <laughs> totally. What, what is it? Uh, and he looks around the room. Yeah. What, what's the first thing that I see? <laughs> it's violin. Yes, uh, the stone walls. Stony. Stony. That's charming. Is that what you'd like us to call you? That, that's my name. Oh, of course, yes. Sense motive. <laughs> Twelve. That's my name. That's your name. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, oh, so I got the pair of wedding rings. Yeah. In my so hand. I got the wedding rings. Um, does it look like it, the one of them will fit? Are they in, inscribed with anything, like on the inside? Yeah. They both have the same engraving on the inside. Two sets of initials: GV with a little hyphen, TA, and the number four seven zero zero. Which is a you understand it to is. be a yeah. date, a date yeah. but you don't under you know that I don't know what year it is. Yeah, okay. Um, and and uh, those are causing stabbing pain, or the no the the woman's ring. It's causing this pain of it belongs on you. All right, you feel drawn so to it. I will, I will put it on. It fits perfectly. When you're when you're doing this, are you are have you like dumped all those things out to look at them? Like I'm are sort, they laid uh, out on them? Those things I'm holding. Like I've peeled back the bags that they're in and they're resting. So they're visible. In them. They're visible, yes. Ray is scratching at some piercings uh, holes in his eyebrows and he's eyeing some of the rings and spikes and things on your hand. I think I think those are mine. Please yeah. take them. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. And uh, Stony sees the the wedding ring. That 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 that's mine. That's mine. Can I have that, please? Door, please. Yes, of course. Thanks. So she hands him the man's wedding ring. What does it stand for? What do you mean? It's a ring. Gulliver. Gulliver. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't know who Gulliver is. That that's me. That's is Stoney your last name? Yeah, Gulliver Stoney. <laughs> that's me. All right. <laughs> you can call me Gull. And that's your ring. Yeah. What does the V stand for? It stands for very much none of your business. You're quite right, of course. 
Great. So the two of you are now wearing matching wedding rings. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a constable's badge that yes. also feels... That is registering as significant to somebody or something somehow. But not necessarily Not me. to you. Not to me. Right. Is there anything written on it or... No. No? But it does so, seem obviously of a design and of a piece with the smashed battle axe and the shield, the shield that is now on Grip's arm. These things go together, these pieces of this uh, weapon and the shield and this brooch. Uh, they're not mine. I, I don't know whose they are, but they are significant. How do you know all this stuff? I don't know. She, she can move things with, like, a brain. Didn't you see what she was, like, throwing stuff around? She tossed you the keys. So the other large sack that you have, there's a couple of things glowing in there, and one of them is giving you that phantom pain sensation, like it belongs to you. Oh, yeah, okay, so I'll go after that. Great. So you open that large sack up again. The first thing that you notice is the weird-ass broken torch with metal plates that mm -hmm. that Ray was considering using as a weapon. It's registering as significant. It's got bits of flanges and plates and stuff on it. Looks like it may have been ripped off of something. It's clearly broken. And then there is... The second you hold that up, mm. Gulliver almost launches himself at you. <laughs> and then stops himself. What's wrong? That, that, that's mine. Alright. Yeah, that's mine. You can have it. Thank you. <laughs> he snatches it away from you. The other thing that's registering to you, Dora, is the small brown leather pouch. Great. I will open it up. Is that the phantom ling yes. thing? Okay. It's filled with what appears to be the finger bones of like a halfling or something. Oh. They are oh. bleached, perfectly white. Obviously well-polished, treated, and cared for. They're yours. These are mine, but I don't know why. Inside that like sack, gambling? there are also a couple of spell component pouches, if anybody happens to need those. There's a folding black leather kit of lockpicks, and there's a kit of weird, fancy tools in a dark red leather case. That's uh, mine. Yeah, there you go. It's <laughs> obviously of a set with the other red leather stuff that you have. Does anyone know how to use these? She holds up the, the lockpicks. They seem very useful. In, in the, uh, what's in the, the red leather case? Uh, it's a set of tools. You're not exactly sure how they work, but you do feel like if you were to mess around with them long enough, you might be able to puzzle it out. And again, like you said, you sort of felt drawn to this sort of stuff. They don't immediately ring a bell, but you're like, yeah, 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 a little bit of time. I could, uh, I could puzzle out what these are for. Uh, yeah, I can use those. Oh, the lockpick. Very good. Yeah. She hands them over. So now there's still a feeling of something significant, like, in the furnace. A whole bunch of things. whole bunch of things. Yeah. Is it burning? Is it, like, running, like, actively? No, or is the it... furnace is cold. There's more in there. Could be important. Um, perception check? Sure. You want to look inside there? Get up close and... Stick your head in. Stick your head in. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm going to approach Great. cautiously. Great. And look. What age child would fit in this? Oh. Oh. Please don't answer. Oh. I don't want to know that you know. 
a ten-year-old child would oh. fit perfectly. Could a half orc's head fit in? Yes. Okay. Yes. Actually, you know, if you and if you squeezed yourself in and you wanted to like get inside, you probably could. I probably don't. All right. <laughs> I rolled a 15 plus 1 for a 16 perception. All right, you notice a couple of things when you poke your head inside the unlit furnace. So a heap of ashes, littered with pieces of what are obviously the bones of uh, humanoid creatures. You see amongst the ashes a whole bunch of holy symbols of a whole variety of gods. You find three steel spiraling comets stained blue and white for Pharasma, you find two golden keys of Abadar, you find a wooden circle with a carved open hand painted blue for Erori, an exquisitely carved wooden songbird painted in a dazzling rainbow of colors for Shailen, an iron skull with chains looped through its eyes for Zon Kuthan, and a red iron pentagram for Asmodeus. Well, these are things that when you look at them, Ray, mm-hmm. without even needing to use the mechanics of the game, you recognize these holy symbols as though you must have been fairly uh, up on who the gods were and what their symbols were. Yeah. So if you have any interest in particular ones of those gods, you can make a check to check further, but you recognize those right away. You also notice as you're poking around and sifting through the ashes and pulling out these holy symbols that there is a network of ductwork going up out of this furnace that, you know, this is like a massive furnace, obviously designed to heat a large building of some sort. The ductwork is big enough that conceivably, the four of you could cram yourselves into it and squeeze your way through it if you decided, yes, if you decided that was the only way to get out of here, you're like, that would be awful, but I, think we could fit. Maybe less awful than climbing over piles of corpses. Maybe? Maybe. Great. I don't, metagame-wise, Player Paul doesn't have any personal reference to any of the names that you just mentioned. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if any of them would be of particular interest to Ray. I don't have the Oh, sure. Great. So why don't you give me, let's give me a knowledge religion check on sort of a general high-level bead on who these gods are. Um, I rolled 17 plus 5 would be 22. Great. I'll give you just a little high-level rundown. Phrasma is the lady of graves, the mother of souls. She's the neutral goddess of death, birth, and fate. She decides where souls go in the afterlife. She despises undeath. Abadar, the master of the first vault, the wealthy father. He's the lawful neutral god of civilization, wealth, and law. He's an old god been around through many fallen civilizations. He uh, and his followers seek to bring civilization and education to the wilderness and law and properly regulated commerce to everybody. (laughs) Irori is known as the master of masters and the perfect man. He's a lawful neutral god of knowledge, self-enlightenment, and healing. He is believed to have actually ascended to godhood from mortality and not by means of the test of the star stone. He's all about meditation, self-improvement, physical perfection, and is followed mostly by monks and and priests dedicated to asceticism. The carved wooden songbird is for Shailen, the eternal rose, the incorruptible one. She's the neutral good goddess of art, beauty, love, and music. She was once just a minor goddess of art and beauty, 
uh, and a very fickle and judgmental one at that. But when she inherited her mother's portfolio of love, she opened up her ideals a little bit. She is the half-sister of Du Brawl, who is now known as Zan Kuthan. Zan Kuthan is the dude with the chains looped through his eyes. He's known as the Midnight Lord, the Prince of Pain. He's the lawful evil god of torture, mutilation, murder, and pain. He was once a minor god of beauty, like his half-sister Shailen. But he went beyond the stars, and he was believed to have been twisted and changed by some alien being and came back horrifying. <laughs> he hates his sister, but will not attack her or any of her followers openly. Hmm. And finally, Asmodeus, the archfiend, the lord of the pit. He is the lawful evil god of tyranny, slavery, and contracts. He's the only archdevil of hell that has claimed full divinity, and he's basically the only truly evil god whose worship is openly condoned in pretty much all civilized society. That's a great rundown. While I'm at it, can I add Sh- Shailen to that mix? She was the songbird goddess. Oh, she what? was the songbird yeah. goddess. Okay. I'm going to put that one on. Great. I mean, I want to hold all all of them. I don't really seem to have a pouch or anything. Is there um... Just nature's pouch. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you <Wow>. can... <laughs> <laughs> You can oh, keep one punch. of the sacks that all this equipment came in if you want to, to toss some stuff in. Great. We should take this violin, I think. Who's going to carry it? I'll carry it if no one else will. I, I might I'm afraid I'd break it. I might, um, might take one of those crossbows, perhaps, and a dagger, if no one minds. The, the only weapon I feel any affinity for... And I'm only picking this up from chatter. You ha- I guess you haven't actually told me, but is the broken battle axe feeling like... Well, the broken battle axe feels like it goes with the armor that you're wearing, which was clearly made for you, but you feel nothing for it. And it's shattered. Right. Otherwise, there's a bunch of daggers, some axes, hand axes, throwing axes. So Gulliver is curled up to the side, like in a corner, kind of like out of the way, just watching everybody and watching this. Yeah. Is there anybody that I have seen so far that looks like this armor would fit? The dead guy on the table. Anybody here? Give me an intelligence check. Ooh, natural 18 plus 321. Yeah, so as some of this conversation's happening over by the furnace, I'm thinking mm-hmm. with, with Ray as he's going through the holy symbols and sort of sharing some of this information, presumably with the others who are all trying to re-soak up what they know about the world. And you're, you know, you're eyeing them, you're eyeing the armor that you're wearing. Eyeing the body on the table, and the closest thing you can come to to anybody who might be present that you can see may have once fit in the armor is the dead man on the table. But you don't feel that with 100% certainty. That's just the best available option, if that makes sense. Is there any way for me to sort of like surreptitiously like go over there and kind of like check anything to see if it would... Uh, if you want to take the time to get out of the armor again. No, I just want to... But as you are heading over there, uh-huh. sort of with that idea in mind, you do notice the three items that are still left on the floor by that other hallway, which were a straight jacket, maybe not so interesting, but two tomes, two books, one of which, the smaller one, is made of red leather, and it seems of a set with... That's mine. <laughs> the stuff that's yours. The that's stuff mine. that's yours. You want to go take a look at it? Absolutely. Okay. And I grabbed the other one, too. Great. So the small one is packed 
with neat handwriting detailing alchemical formulas and processes. It's ripped up, mangled, smells like it has been urinated on. It's totally ruined except for just a handful of pages near the front. And there are formulas there that have survived whatever horrifying thing was done to this book that start to click and unlock things in your head like might know what the heck to do with this. And as you're sort of looking down at your Renaissance superhero belt, it seems as though you've got essentially the makings and ingredients to do some of the things in this book. The other book is a large tome. Looks like it's made of brown leather, stained and covered in blood, but it's hard to tell the color because it's covered in patches of ugly, furry, black fungus. The whole thing is mangled, shredded, reeks like urine. There are bits of pages sticking out that are covered in arcane runes and symbols. It's clearly once a wizard's spell book, but it's now completely destroyed and useless. I will take both of those things. Great. But is there anything, is there anything that I could use to write with? Is there yes, anything there's like a couple of charcoal pencils. There's an, uh, an inkwell and a quill pen. I, again, surreptitiously just write Gulliver on the ground. Yeah. Does that handwriting match the handwriting in the red book? No. I scuff it out. Okay. And then I'm going to walk over to everybody and be like, is this anybody's, like, withered book? <laughs> it looks so disgusting. Fungus, urine, torn pages. Even if it were, I don't really need it. So I had an initial thought that I was going to uh, grab a hand axe. Great. Now, can I carry such a thing? Since it is slashing. (laughs) And my wisdom being what it is, I suspect I would go up and pick it up without thinking about a prior thing. So Now, that's also going to set me up for if I swing a slashing weapon in violence. (laughs) Yeah, I think... Which you probably, let that so, unfold so you when feel, it happens. You but, feel, uh, you feel drawn right. to the axes, and I think that once you actually get it in your hand, it's like drop it and step back, that the phobia to it is strong enough that you feel like you can't carry it. Sorry, buddy. Yeah, that's what I... That's what I, I started looking up the stats, and I'm like, oh, slashing. Yeah. Mm, mm-hmm. Perhaps I should inquire. <laughs> yeah. So in that case, he's going to sling the shield on his back. Great. Because for some reason, hands-free feels right. Okay. But yeah, he's not going to tell you. Won't, he won't touch anything else. Okay. Yipe, yipe, yipe. Uh, have we checked out really this area enough yet? Do we feel like we know what's, if there's anything so there's else an, in there? There's an empty cell that had an open door that none of you were in. Poking your head in there, it seems to be empty, but if you want to give me a perception check, sure. Paul, you can see what you see. Uh, yeah, that's 16. Great. Seems nothing of, nothing of note. So basically, we have checked out these cells, we've checked out these piles of equipment, all that remains, unless we want to climb up the furnace chute, is the door to the end that leads to the corpses and flies. <laughs> I, I don't know if you're going to feel like trying this out or not, but there's a ventilation system above this like furnace thing. I think it's, it could be a way out. I went down the other hallway and looked, and it's horrible. There's just the stench of death and flies and darkness, and I, I don't, I don't know. This seems actually like a safer way to go. Can you climb? I can try. Uh, I, I will probably need assistance. Is it just a bad smell the other way? Is that the problem? 
Well, yes, bad smell, darkness. Darkness isn't a problem. Darkness is fine. Well, maybe for you, it's fucking creepy in there. It's... Look. Perhaps we should look and see exactly what we're dealing with. It was you had you couldn't see it was uh, too dark for you to see. Was that it was, was that what's for me to see? I'm going to go look down that door and see what's down the dark, smelly hallway. I'll follow wanna... about ten feet behind him. Go you, you guys, go check it out. That's what I said. Ray, you gonna join them or you're gonna hang back? I'm gonna begrudgingly join them. I'm gonna face my fear a little bit. I've got the torch at the very back. Yeah, yeah, behind you. Grip leads the way down that little ten-foot hallway to the closed wooden door. As he approaches, he can smell the corpses. He can hear the flies. Puts a hand out on the door to open it up. End of chapter two. Dark Nexus is a creation of Plug and Hum Productions. This podcast uses trademarks and or copyrights owned by Paizo Incorporated, which are used under Paizo's community use policy. We are expressly prohibited from charging you to use or access this content. This podcast is not published, endorsed, or specifically approved by Paizo Inc. For more information about Paizo's community use policy, please visit paizo.com slash community use. And for more information about Paizo and Paizo products, please visit paizo.com. That's P-A-I-Z-O dot com. Dark Nexus uses music and soundscapes by Sirenscape. Check them out at sirenscape.com. That's S-Y-R-I-N-S-C-A-P-E dot com. Opening and closing themes along with additional music composed by Rob Kozlarik. Artwork for Dark Nexus is by Matt Walquist. Special thanks to Toy, without whose generosity this project would not have been possible. And thanks to DMCP, Richard and Ari, Paul and Shannon, Chris, Scotty, Jason, Jess, Joe, Chelsea, Matt, Dave, Darren, and everyone we've gamed with over the years for all the memories and inspiration. Fantastic. Did we level? (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.